Physics Teaching Podcast Season 3. I don't know what music we played there because Robin's going to choose it after we've made this episode. I know, it's it's that difficult third album bit, isn't it? It's sort of <laughs> there or thereabouts. Anyway, um, yeah, but it's good to be back for Season 3. I, I feel, yes, it's it's lovely to be here. It is. My name is Thomas WP. I'm a part-time A-level, mostly teacher of physics. And my name's Robin Griffiths, and I'm a full-time teacher of physics all the way through from year 8 to year 13. Still no year 7s this year. Oh, well, I fill the gap. So we do. I have three lessons of year 7. Didn't get the full six that we were hoping for because of timetabling restrictions. And I have only half a 12 and half a 13, so I'm a little bit more part-time than last year. It's fabulous. Ooh. Yes, well, so that'll give you a bit more time to edit the podcast, wouldn't it? Yes, obviously, that's the, the absolute number one thing. Nothing to not not riding my bike at all. Uh, so how was your summer, Robin? It's been such a weird time. It's, it is just weird, isn't it? And um, it, it was lovely. I mean, I always think this is anybody who is in teaching and complains about their long summer holidays, I always think it's a little bit strange. Uh, it's by far the best part of the job. I had a lovely time. Got all sorts of projects done around the house. Um, you just and you know, I don't know if you do this, but I always at the beginning of the summer have grand things of all oh, things I'm going to do during the summer holidays to augment my teaching. I'm going to read this book and do this, and, do, and I get about you know ten percent of that stuff done if I'm lucky. Um, but uh, yeah, just because I get distracted with loads of good things like gardening and stuff like that. So hmm. yeah, but it was a lovely summer. Thank you. How about yours? Good. I had to force myself not to do those jobs. I'd done a lot of that in lockdown. So I actually forced myself to stop and read books and sit in the garden. I'm really terrible at it. I, I find it hard sitting in the garden because I just see jobs to do, like I was cutting the hedges today. And But yeah, I, I forced myself to relax. And once I hit it, I found it very hard to stop being relaxed and lazing around. But I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. I'm, 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 I'm almost raring to go. I go back to school. Weirdly, we are holidays usually end on the last day of August, but we go back tomorrow, 2nd of September. I think you went to school today. I did go to school today, yes, and that was very strange with, with masks and social distancing. And uh, lunch was strange because we all have to face in one direction. So we're sort of eating lunch almost like a, a classroom arranged you know, facing the blackboard, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's slightly odd. And whenever I turned to sort of talk to a colleague next to me, who, who you know, blank seat next to me and then a colleague, I, I felt quite guilty thinking, oh, I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be turning my face towards you. No, not when I'm maskless because I'm eating my food. You know, it, it's all very strange. I'm sure we'll get used to it, but uh, it seems a weird, wee bit alien. So goodness knows what the kids will make of it. Yeah, it's strange. I had to book in on Eventbrite into the CPD at school tomorrow because a lot of people will be coming in virtually. And we're going to do all our uh, faculty meetings virtually this year, so we'll all be in our labs on laptops. Oh, I have dreams yeah. about that. Turning up <laughs> for an inset session and saying somebody saying, your name's not down, you're not coming in. Oh, well, wouldn't that be great? Oh. Yeah, but now you just have to go off with your laptop and fire it up. <laughs> it's true. Actually, I have to say that was quite useful because... Um, I hope my SLT aren't listening, but it was quite useful because when things came up that were perhaps slightly less than useful, like things about the fire policy and stuff like that, I was able to you know, keep half an ear on them and then get on with some work, which when you're in the hall is, is slightly embarrassing. I always find. Well, I'm, I wanted to book in just see what's going on. Um, yeah, so I'm back tomorrow. Uh, I have to hand in my laptop anyway because they're going to be upgrading it and adding the software for the visualizer which i think will be quite important this year in the new mm. way of doing things uh but before i forget robin we should uh mention i have two vacuum cannons in in stock i should have mentioned that at the top of the show that was something i did over the summer holidays i made all the vacuum cannons i made a few spares 
Yes, lovely listener. Why not celebrate? Why not celebrate the new year with a brand new vacuum calendar for your lab? Yes, folks, only two in stock, so hurry along to avoid disappointment. We do have stock. We also have uh, vacuum gauges that screw into the second hole in them. And we also have some fun and games this summer designing T-shirts. Yes, the T-shirts. Yeah, absolutely. This was, this was great fun. I am. This is, so you know when you, you find things that you, I'm the worst T-shirt designer in the world, I think we've established, haven't we? Because it took me ages to come up with one, and it was just rubbish. So it's... <laughs> I thought you and I would buy it, but I didn't think anyone else would, so I vetoed it. I'd, and if I'm honest, looking at it, I wouldn't have bought it anyway. <laughs> it was terrible. But we put it out to our beloved followers on Twitter, at PhysicsTP, and uh, I have put into the shop the, the three favourites, the ones with the most likes, and we will add more. Because we realised that who else is making T-shirts for physics teachers? No one. So we've got three T-shirts up at the moment, at the point of recording. One is I'm 95% confident I'm a physicist teacher plus or minus 10 percent one is i'm a physics teacher of course i have charm eh? Uh, and i'm a physics teacher what's your superpower so they're available for 10 quid and uh yeah we've sold a few already so do buy them we get a tiny bit for the podcast if you if you buy one but we really do them as a service and of course if you come up with a great idea for a for a physics t-shirt that you think would really really be great yeah just drop us a tweet and 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 tell us because uh, that would be fabulous we can um, put it in the shop and uh see what people would like to do i was thinking maybe one that you could give to the nearest and dearest in your life because nothing they would love more than some sort of reference to the fact that they know a physics teacher i'm sure that would give them huge amounts of cachet and respect in their neighborhood yes you can even design it yourself you can go to streetshirts.co.uk and go to their designer you can buy it for yourself for 9.99 or you can share it with us and we'll put it up on the website for 10 quid uh, and then your design will go out to the to the world so yeah um come up with ideas for t-shirts i'm sure there's many people out there who want my best friend listen to the physics teaching podcast and all i got was this lousy t-shirt yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an it's an original idea. I'll give you that. Um, so <laughs> our lovely our lovely listener has been absolutely fantastic because we we put out our survey, didn't we, at the end of uh, end of last uh, season. We did, and we had many tens of uh, replies, so thank you very much, and we've been chatting about it before recording, and there's so many good ideas. I think we could go up to season five based on those, and two me to go into, really. I, but one was change the music, and we had been thinking about that, so thank you for, for that. But you know, just good suggestions of what to cover, the, you know, what can be set as homework in COVID-19 era and actually that plays into our first ways to teach dot 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 episode so we are planning to do the ways to teach episodes every five episodes so the fifth episode this year will be ways to teach dot 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 under social distancing guidelines Uh, if you do anything that you think is helpful or sensible or works really well please get in touch with us contact at the physics teaching podcast.com with your ideas or tweet at us at physics tp tell us top tips that you have that you have found really work under the 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 covid guidelines yeah and i think it's because we're all making it up a little bit as we go along sharing that information is going to be so invaluable to colleagues so thank you in advance for for all your ideas on that yes and and whilst we talk about that i had a chat with my head of department matt about the covid stuff it's probably a nice time here to play in what he said i just thought it'd be useful to just hear what head of department has been thinking about (laughs) 
I should say welcome to the podcast, Matt. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Matt Briscoe, um, head of science at a fairly substantial secondary school. I have the pleasure of working with you. Must be <laughs> such a pleasure. A joy, <laughs> endless joy. You're coming on the podcast anyway. So we were chatting just now about the changes for COVID, and I thought for the first episode it might be just interesting to get a head of department's perspective, really. So what's your take on it, on the, on the, the, the guidelines you've been given? I, th- I feel that the guidelines that have been written by Cleeps are well constructed in the fact that you can take from it what you want and you can implement decisions that are going to be best for your faculty area um, at first glance when they were when the idea was mooted about changing practical work coming back in September I think a lot of people instantly thought well that's scuppered practical work for us that we're going to have to make fairly substantial changes to the way that we work but I didn't want to go in with that sort of negative outlook straight away I wanted to see and review how we could safely carry out practical work when we go back next week. So I looked at the guidance and I must have read it about two or three times just to look at fine print and what do they recommend with social distancing? What do they recommend with the use of practical kit between bubbles? And I think that it makes sense. A lot of the, a lot of the guidance, there's, there's some stuff obviously that you cannot do. Um, the might the bio, biological side of it. Um, cheek swabs and all of that that makes sense obviously but from from a practical perspective for everything else it's about working smart and yeah and it's, it's going to take a lot of thought isn't it i mean the the to my takeaway from reading it was the the idea that you know you cannot really practically clean science kit so you're just going to leave it in a cupboard for 72 hours and i think you, we can work around that i think i think it's going to take some planning for doing practicals and they'll have to be short how would you do food tests like would you give everyone a little kit of their own and do one food test and collect the results Um, i suppose that i suppose that would be one way round of of trialing practical work in the lab is that you would you wouldn't go full-blown initially i I don't plan on on sort of going for a, a whiz bang practical initially for my first one i was thinking about this before this call that you could, in theory, if you had shorter practicals, do half half the class doing the practical at once, half the class doing the practical after, because they would be in, I mean, in our case, they would be within the same bubble. They can share the practical equipment. Um, it's just it's just between bubbles that is going to need cleaning. But from a classroom perspective after that, the, the Bunsons are going to need meticulously cleaning. And that's the that's the word on the document. Apologies, the rain. Um, no, you're sitting under a plastic roof, aren't you? In your I am, so, yes, conservatory. Conservatory, the British summer. The main thing that I wanted to do over the summer was to have a have a document ready that we could then discuss at a faculty level when we return next week. Um, and I've asked everybody to read it and um, and supply any questions that they've got, and we can have a working document because ultimately the guidance is going to change from week to week. Anyway, we are going to meet different bumps in the road as we move through. I think one of the big things that I'm going to have to do that maybe had a sort of blind eye turn to it occasionally was was late requests and last minute requests. Or can I possibly have this? We're going to have to say no because stuff's going to be quarantined. 
Um, we've moved around the schemes of work so that there's less practical heavy um, units initially. You're going to be starting teaching the electricity with the year 12s and no other year group in the school is doing electricity initially. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's what I'm getting towards is this. We just had to think about it cleverly. And that sounds like you're well ahead of the curve. Yeah, try, we're just trying to be because I don't really want to be faced with issues in the first couple of weeks when people are going to have them. I like the idea of the stable door on the prep room. Yeah, so that's the request of the lab techs that to reduce teachers from just wandering Absolutely. into the prep room and, and sort of helping themselves to, to equipment to be able to, to say no. So my big concerns are the not being able to run down the corridor and, and at the last minute and pick up a G-clamp. Yeah, I think that's that's it. But I thought it was really interesting um, what Matt was saying there, that he's, I don't think, it sounded to me a really, really good approach because he's saying, I want to feel my way through this. So I don't want to start off with you shall do this and you shan't do this. There are certain no-nos to start with, but I think he's what he's saying is let's, let's give it some room to grow into. Let's start slowly. Let's see where it goes and let's see if we can develop ways of getting around the problems as we hit them. Uh, instead of starting off trying to do everything whiz bang as normal um, on day one and getting horrible mess and stressed and um, all over the shop and with equipment that you can't use and all sorts of things like that. So it sounded like a really, really good, clear thinking approach to me. Yeah, I think, I mean, having read his document he's written, I mean, there are restrictions, but we can do anything within them. I'm sorry, he hasn't said you can't do anything. So. It, uh, as I said when I was talking to him, it's just going to take more planning and more thinking. And how I'm I'm concerned about when I'm doing a practical and with the A7 and someone at the back of the room has no, is just mucking around. And what happens then? What we we will have to t- have to engage with them. Have to. Have yes. To. Yes. How does that go about? Do I stick on a mask and march across the room? Do I bellow across the room and spray my you know, my virus particles all over the place. These things are very practical things. We're going to have to learn. I feel there's a, a, a kind of, we, we will, we're going to hit problems and, you know, many of our worries and concerns probably will end up having real foundations. Some of them will find ways around, but it's just a question of, of kind of when you hit the problems, try and work your way around them. Uh, in science, we, we've got slightly more problems due to the practical work and how to get that to to, to fly but I think I genuinely get the impression that if you've got a decent SLT in your school they do understand that some of this stuff is going to be challenging and it won't be ideal and it will take some time to feel your way around. There's going to be challenges all over the country all over the world with this and I think Mm. we just have to go in sensibly and and see see where we end up in a few weeks time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, isn't it always the way in education? You, you're asked to do things that look insurmountable and we always find a way because that's what we do. So uh, we ended last season, Robin, with um, a very exciting interview, which we, we kept secret, our exciting guest. And then we had a long chat with him at the end of the year, far too long for the podcast. And it hurt my brain. It so hurt my brain. 
He's well. He he's a smart guy, isn't he? Really, and um, it was such a privilege to to be able to talk to him. And uh, I think yeah, I could have happily talked. To, it's, it's sort of like James De Winter is another another person like this. You, you, I could happily talk to them for for hours and hours and hours, um, but that wouldn't make for a very good podcast. So no. So we've kept we've we chopped out what brought him to our attention. So this is Richard Brock, and if you are a member of the IOP, you will have received little booklets about interesting things in physics, written by Richard. Uh, and we invited him onto the podcast to, to tell us about his little booklets. I, I, I love the the little nuggets of information he, he produces, like the, the, the barn unit. The barn is uh, the, si- the size of a barn is is the where it comes from but it's the most impossibly small thing it's to do with the surface area the nucleus i think from memory it's a cross-section of interaction in nuclear physics yeah and it, it's just one and it is actually used when i did my nuclear physics module at, at uh, uni they did actually talk about barns um and yeah famously from the thing you couldn't hit a barn door with that and yeah, yeah you really couldn't exactly. <laughs> And his INSEE unit and his WINCE unit and all that stuff. So And then he's done the Forces in Motion and the Waves booklet. So we had a good chat with him about that. We're going to play a bit of it where we talk about the, the booklets. And uh, thank you very much, Richard. Uh, here he is. Welcome to the podcast. We're not worthy. Richard Brock. Thank you. It's, it's lovely to be here. So, Richard, you came to my attention, I don't know about Robin, uh, for the fantastic Weird Units and Wonderful Measures. And I had a great time at dinner when it came out, regaling my family about the future of the INSEE and WINSEE <laughs> units and uh, the barn, which <laughs> the barn is the tiniest thing possible. Uh, I, just, I just loved it. So I wanted to thank you for that and just hear a bit more about how you got into that. But before we do that, let's hear a bit about your background. You are a unicorn, you were a physics teacher for a while, and now you're, you're a, a teacher of a different sort. That's right, yeah. I mean, I, I started, I mean, after doing a physics degree at Durham, um, I started teaching abroad. I went to Japan and taught English there for a while, and then came back and uh, did a PGCE and taught uh, secondary physics for eight years. And uh, towards the end of that, I ended up doing a part-time PhD and then getting into um, lecturing in science education, which I now do at the lovely King's College London. Fantastic. So how long have you been teaching PGCE? Um, I have been at King's College London since 2017. Okay, so three years. So where do you get your facts and figures? Is it stuff you just come across in your life? Was your PhD on crazy units, (laughs) or is it just an interest? (laughs) No, sadly, my, my PhD wasn't on crazy units or in retrospect that might have been a really good topic for it uh, I, I think it started from school I remember I had an amazing uh, physics teacher Mr Dixon um, and I, I really strongly remember him telling me about Tycho Brahe which I've, I'm now reliably informed by a Danish member of an audience when I was talking about the stories is how we pronounce Tycho Brahe I was saying Tycho Brahe but apparently that's not right but I remember Mr. Dixon, you know, giving the story about you know the fake nose and the duel, and possibly dying because he refused to urinate at a banquet, and then getting a bladder infection. And you know, the fact that I remember that today um, is really testament to the power of narrative. Um, and I think that since then, I've always, I mean, informally, been storing these 
stories away. And there came a point during my PhD when I thought, well, actually, maybe I should just write down all the ones I know. And I think since then, it's, it's kind of spiraled. And I'm sure like lots of physics teachers, you know, you read popular science books, popular physics books, you know, quite often, you know, some of the science in them, but often they have kind of two or three really good little stories. And I just started keeping a, a Word document collecting these, and it grew and grew and grew. So with your work in, in research and researching science education, Richard, is this sort of like anecdotal kind of um, uh, background and, and colour that you give to physics, is that a really important part of teaching physics? I think that, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think there's an interesting argument, this is Daniel Willingham, um, the psychologist argues that stories seem to be somehow cognitively privileged. You know, the mind seems attuned for acquiring stories. Um, but I, th- I think that's both a powerful thing in physics education and potentially problematic because um, there's this term in the literature of seductive details. The, you know, the, story, the story about Bry's nose, which if people don't know it is you know, uh, Tycho Bry, the um, Danish astronomer, um, lost his nose in a duel and wore a brass nose um, for the rest of his life. Um, but you know that's not on the physics curriculum, and in some ways you could argue learning that isn't learning physics if you conceptualise physics as kind of learning propositions about you know, empirical propositions about the world. But um, to my mind, I think it enriches teaching. But I think, I think there's an interesting discussion which we might have a bit about you know how how can you use stories effectively? How can they not? You know, I, I think they're not quite the same thing as teaching physics per se but they can certainly enhance it yes because that was that was the thing i was because obviously it is one of the things that when you are teaching physics and it's not necessarily your your first subject is not necessarily your specialism everybody always says oh well it is that hinterland of uh, physics anecdote that gets lost and i was just wondering if, if that was something that you you shared that opinion or or not i, I agree yeah um i think certainly for non-specialists this kind of um, hinterland, as it can be called, um, is um, something you wouldn't normally get. But also, you know, working with trainee physics teachers who you know, often have very good um, first physics degrees, you often don't get a lot of this material on your physics degree. And I think I've picked up a lot of it, um, you know, through reading popular science, through you know, teachers I taught with, um, through just becoming curious and seeking them out in the end by reading more history and philosophy of science. Um, and I think I think it's interesting the extent to which, they say, first degrees have a lot of content knowledge, but actually miss out a lot of things that are really useful for teaching physics. Yes, and a, a lot of the the sort of the anecdotes and the fun bits and the the, the bits that give it local colour. Absolutely. I'm just thinking of Dr. Peter Edmonds, his practical in memoriam the archimedes and the story he told that made a dull practical interesting yes. i think stories have a huge role to play oh, i agree yeah. yeah pete evans was on a couple of weeks ago and he was saying that it was his favorite practical basically because the story made the practical so when you're sort of dunking bits of different density in water it can it can be a little bit dry but when you saw the story of the you know, having to weigh the crown and all this sort of stuff that that really gives it and the kids sort of oh wow you know i can find out whether something's real gold or not using this technique, it was it was that that, that for him made it made it live, which was uh, really interesting. 
And I think that's the thing. Much as we are all, I'm sure, deeply passionate about physics and very abstract things, I think it's easy to forget that you know lots of minds aren't excited by you know abstract ideas or kind of ideal objects. And being able to insert some hooks that you know show human interest or kind of that colour that is more natural in subjects that are very focused on the human. But there is so much of that in physics, and it shouldn't be left off. Yes, because it's a subject that lends itself particularly, isn't it? Really, I mean, you know, there's physics around you every day. Um, the sky is blue. Uh, the wind blows. Uh, these are all things that you can talk about, aren't they? And often there's such a deep. It's it's one of the principles I had with this book was kind of everything is interesting if you go into it in enough detail. There's always a little quirky kind of twist in the tale, or there's always someone interesting associated with it. And I remember there were times sitting down thinking, well, you know, momentum, what do I, what do I know about momentum um, that's interesting? You think a topic where, you know, I think when I started this, you know, I might not have been able to, you know, think of any stories that, you know, were useful for momentum. But, you know, reading up, you know, finding, about, finding out about Christopher Wren's, you know, early work on momentum um, or, you know, the, the early research using ballistic pendula. You know these these incredibly um, high coefficient of restitution balls. Is this all? Everything is fascinating if you go into it in enough detail. Yes, yes, that's a, that's it, isn't it? It's, it's fi- finding that that sort of uh, that angle, that that sort of fascination, the stories behind it. All of these facts are hard won, I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think there's sometimes I say this to trainees of saying, you know, we have learning objectives for what students should get out of the lesson, but I think there's always a kind of shadow question of well. Why should I care? And, you know, what is interesting about this? And I think part of our job as teachers is to sell that lesson um, and to sell you know, the interest of it. You know, why is this interesting? Absolutely. Yes, I do remember that. I remember the uh, my teacher training, uh, my, my head of my course, What's In It For Me? She even had an acronym, of course, W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? <laughs> <laughs> So, Richard, you've made four books, I believe. I, because of lockdown, I've only got access to two at home. And so we've got Weird Units and Wonderful Measures, Forces and Motion, Electricity, and I think Waves is just out, isn't it? Waves you were is saying. just out, yeah. And the dear listener, can I think they're available as PDF, aren't they, from IOP? That's right. They're all on the IOP Spark website. Yeah, so they're all available free of charge to help with people tell stories. I, I, I'm particularly fond of the projectile penguin poo having been a victim of said event. And I was wondering about uh, tweeting in anagrams because I love, I did not know this about Hook and him effectively tweeting an anagram of his discovery and then a couple of years later unveiling the anagram to show Hook's law. So I just, there's just, just some wonderful stories in here. Interesting. Brilliant. And I, with the penguin poo, there's a new paper just out a couple of days ago, um, which does a new analysis of penguin um, poo, if you're um, interested, <laughs> just on, up on archive. I think you've revealed your hand there, Richard, because at, at some level you are monitoring uh, the penguin poo publications. Uh, presumably there is a journal somewhere. <laughs> does it conclude that the penguins aim? Um, I think they've done, uh, what have they... They, 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 in this one, I think they set a safe range for people approaching penguins to avoid getting splattered. Because I, I know you, you shouldn't anthropomorphize animals because they don't like it. I like you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I tell you, this penguin 
looked me in the eye. I was on holiday in Boulders Beach, is it, in South Africa? And this penguin looked me in the eye, turned round, took aim, and fired, and uh, claimed the spot that I was not on one second later. I, I'll tell you, it, it was malicious. This is of real practical interest to you. I'd be interested to know if it was aiming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've just pulled up the, the paper, and it says... Our results indicate that the safety zone should be 1.34 metres away from a, pengu- a penguin trying to poop in typical environments. In the presence <laughs> That of- doesn't tell you if it's aiming. It doesn't tell you if it's aiming. That's just a safe distance. That's just social distancing. But presumably, if you meet a penguin in Tesco's, which isn't a typical environment, all bets are off. You, you just don't know how far away you need to be. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but more research is required. Yes, exactly. Always more research is required. So... The books are great. We'll obviously link to them on the show notes. But Richard, uh, thank you so much. Do keep the booklets coming. I'm going to go and find the Waves one. But thank you very much for your time tonight and and good luck with your research. Thank you. It's a, been a complete pleasure. Thank you. Well, no, thanks, Richard. And, and if, if you have exciting things to share with physics teachers, you know uh, that there's, a, there's an avenue to a few hundred of them right here waiting for you anytime. Thank you. It's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> thanks, Richard. So uh, we did get a bit sidetracked there about penguin pooping, Robin. Yes, well, who wouldn't? Let's face it. When I'm when scarred. I'm still scarred by my experiences with a penguin in South Africa. Yes, you were a victim of this. This is this is your experience. Well, I should we should go over to you for for this. You know, the forces exerted on penguin poo. Yeah, <laughs> safe radius. <laughs> So Richard was was great fun and very interesting, and I heartily recommend his little booklets. Have a good look at them, when, and they're beautifully illustrated as well. He was very effusive in his praise of his illustrator as well. So they they do look great. Yeah, and I, I just yeah, do I do love that it's the style in which they're written. So the pen, projectile penguin poo section in the uh, the forces uh, booklet. The forces involved in penguin defecation are reported in a 2003 paper. Pressures produced when penguins poo. Calculations on avian defecation. <laughs> just what classic what made me laugh is when we were talking to him he was able to pull up the paper in about 30 <laughs> seconds he's obviously got all this stuff at his fingertips yes how much penguin poo has he got at his fingertips who who could say but what a guy and uh, just thoroughly entertaining and just uh, loves to make physics live which is great yes so uh, we're drawing to the end of this podcast so we should tell the dear listener about what we're kind of planning this year so we've already said we're going to do a ways to teach episode every five episodes first one ways to teach physics under social distancing uh, we're also planning to hit the core practicals at a level and gcse on a regular basis probably on their 5n plus 3 5n plus 3 episode i would say so the third the eighth the 13th the does that make sense? Jolly good. Nicely mathematically functioned there. I, I do like that. Thank you very much. I, try, I had to write that one down. Um, uh, and then we'll fill the, the rest of it with all the crazy ideas people have had and the things that come to us in the year because people get in contact. So do get in contact if you want to come onto the podcast. And how do people contact the podcast, Robin? They contact us on Twitter uh, at PhysicsTP. And... They email us, contact at thephysicsteachingpodcast.com. I would say most contacts we get outside of Twitter would be through the website, the.physicsteachingpodcast.com. Yes. It was really gratifying to see the um, in the survey how many people are, are looking at the website, getting the resources from there, going there. So that's, we, we took that on board. So we'll make sure we get those um, show notes done and, and useful uh, links and things like that published on the website as soon as possible. 
Yes, your marvellous prose is appreciated. I, I was surprised how many people read the show notes. I was hoping we could cut them down a bit. So yes, so the contact form on every page. There is the, the Insta webogram or whatever it's called, Instagram, uh, physics underscore teaching underscore podcast, a small but loyal following there. I do post uh, pictures of the t-shirts and the, the, the images of each episode there. Yep. Uh, and if you wish to give us some ideas, you can always send us a voice memo the number for that is in our Twitter profile, and it would work on Telegram or WhatsApp. Lovely. So do send us a message. It'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Anything at all. Yeah, that's what we're here to do. And uh, we're here to serve uh, you as wonderful physics teachers. Uh, so please do let us know how we can do that best. Yes, well, it's been a weird summer. It's been a weird start to the year. It's just very odd to be back at the end of the microphone, Robin. Mm. Um, so thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you, Thomas, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Physics Teaching Podcast, and special thanks this week to Richard Brock and Matt Briscoe. The podcast is presented by me, Thomas WP, and Robin Griffiths, and produced and edited by me, Thomas WP, with the show notes done by Robin Griffiths. There you go, Robin, you get your credit. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week.